into the, the mortal realm of, of uh, individuals and, and, and worldliness surrounding us. It's, uh, it's a diagram, this cosmic diagram of the, the, the Buddhist world. And in sense then, that, that's also what a mandala is, these geometric diagrams, mandala, mandala, you can say it either way. Um, it's all the rage now in coloring books, right? You've probably seen that at Barnes & Noble. You can get a coloring book for adults uh, with a draw-your-own-mandala. It's supposed to be very meditative and therapeutic to, to color a mandala. I don't know. I never tried it. And you see here in Tibetan mandalas, there are distinct colors, colors that are evocative of different uh, concepts and, and, and feelings. So white equals peace. Yellow equals prosperity. Red is dominion. Black is destruction and power. Not evil, but, but a destructive force or a powerful, mighty force that is uh, destruction of, of ignorance, destruction of wickedness, destruction of obstacles to our enlightenment, destruction of the demonic forces that seek to corrupt us and, and, and contribute to our human vices. So in that sense, all of this, the, all the fierceness and the wrathfulness that we might encounter in Tibetan Buddhism, it's really on our side. A mandala is a geometric diagram of the spiritual universe. And a mandala, much as with tankas as well, these portable shrines, these portable religious banners that can be set up for the itinerant monk as a meditative device, and, and one contemplates on the structure, on the geometry of the mandala, starting on the periphery and working your way in to the sacred center, the Holy of Holies, where the God, where the subject is, is kept. So Deepak Chopra also talks in that same celestial galleries. He gives us a lovely passage on how to look at a mandala, how to look at a tanka. It's again a little poetic here, but uh, we can imagine, he says, as you gaze upon the paintings, put behind you the concerns of your everyday life, schedules, appointments, dreams, and aspirations. In a darkened room, allow your gaze to move gently from the periphery to the center of the mandala to the inner sanctum, and ultimately to the bindu, the point on the absolute center that represents the infinite. Adopt a non-focused, non-concentrated attention that spontaneously invites you into the mandala's inner sanctum. And then finally, through the sanctum sanctorum, into the infinite void. Meditate on the painting, and a new world will open up for you. At first, you'll encounter an inner realm previously hidden from sight, Ultimately, you'll be able to experience the same miraculous world in your everyday life. So, and it's really a, a, just a geometric diagram, but it's also uh, an architectural plan. What we are looking at is the vertical plan of the cosmic palace of the Buddhist realm. So, and it takes on this structural appearance with multiple walls, different barriers, you could say, in, in the four sides, we have four gateways, four entrances. Mandalas exist as two dimensions, but they also exist sometimes as three dimensions. These dollhouses, if you will, these, these lovely little structures, and dollhouse is a irreverent term, but Robert Thurman used it, so so can I. Uh, and these are created by Tibetan Buddhist monks. The act of creation is the meditative practice just as also the act of looking and contemplating the structure is also a, a meditative 
practice. So this reminds us also the idea of creating mandalas. This is in my own neck of the woods of Miller Beach, Indiana, a lovely little beachfront artistic community where uh, every year or so they invite some Buddhist, Tibetan Buddhist monks to come and create a sand mandala, right? Yeah, so we've, we've heard a lot about it. We've maybe even seen these monks who are creating from tiny grains, and sand is not even really quite doing it just. It's little grains of pigment, and they're more powdered, really. It's, it's finer than grains of sand. So these tiny grains of pigment, and then they use like a, almost like a cake decorating mechanism, a metallic cake decorator that slowly, they, they'll rub it, and slowly the pigment slowly issues forth from this, this device, the making simulates the, this, these seeds that, that triggers this imaginative envisioning of this, this palace. So this, this um, meditation through creation. Uh, sometimes also you see the monks, they're even wearing masks while they're creating it, not to necessarily cr- prevent them from inhaling the, uh, the, the dust, but just to keep them from accidentally breathing on it because uh, just one puff will blow the mandala away. So it's not that they're laying it onto a surface that's a binder. It doesn't stay in place. It's, it's impermanent. No sand mandala is ever meant to continue and survive, even though, okay, yeah, in some places they have sand mandalas permanently under glass. But still, the point is also not only the creation, but also the destruction with the healing energies or whatever power is within the mandala, the idea is in one principle to, to sweep it up when you're finished, after it's been created and people have enjoyed it and meditated on it and, and the, the, the healing has spread within the community that's visited it. But then you sweep it up and you take all of this sand, this pigment, and you put it in the nearest flowing body of water a river or something, and then that, that will then disperse the healing properties of the mandala to the, the, the broader populace at large. This was a mandala, specifically a mandala of world peace. You see in the center, so they have symbols of world peace, but then they have all the different faiths of the world surrounding it, so Judaism, Baha'i, Christianity, Hinduism, Buddhism, going all the way around, Sikhism. Eight auspicious symbols, that's, you know, the, the fish, this vase of tranquility, the, the wheel of law and such. I'm not going to go through and read all of these. So it's a, it's a deeply interesting, complex, contemplative device. And a couple other mandalas in the Art Institute's collection. This, uh, yeah, the one I write is really beautifully complex. I uh, love all the details. I'm not going to go into great depths, but you could, now you can kind of see also sort of a, the palace structure to it. They often have a similar appearance. But then the one on the left is a little different. This is much more geometric, this, this cosmogram. The center that we see is the, the, so this, the two triangles that intersect one another. This is um, often referred to as a yantra. A yantra, which is, a, is in a sense, a cosmogram. It, that is a, a picture representing the universe. So this is like the, the residence where the god resides within the center of the mandala. Also, though, this specific yantra of the two intersecting triangles is evocative of the, and we find it in Buddhism and Hinduism, evocative of the the unity of masculinity and femininity. The idea of perfect union and harmony and balance. It's all about a balance between dual opposites uh, coming together, and you can't have one without the other. 
So the, the, the unity of masculinity and femininity, and that also is a very creative force, uh, just within a, a human existence through the procreation of, of male and female coming together. So, uh, and certainly.